This episode is brought to you by Patreon, specifically the Comic Pop Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash comic pop and find out more about how you can keep the lights on here at Comic Pop. And don't worry, we've got plenty of fun rewards, including early access to videos and weekly updates about what's happening here at the studio. That's patreon.com slash comic pop. All right, let's get on with the show now. Sweeping down upon the underworld to smash gangland comes a friend of the unfortunate, enemy of criminals, a mysterious, all-powerful character. A problem to the police, but a crusade of the law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ellsworth's Exchange. I am Sal. And I'm Joel. What's going on, everybody? What up? Joel's back. And none too soon, because we're going to talk about some of our favorite slash the greatest cartoon villains of all time. Mm-hmm. This list I- excludes I- anime which is funny because I'm wearing a Freezer shirt today, but you all know what's up. You know, I guess we can include DBZ and Pokemon. Because they did technically run those like Saturday morning. I would say they're part of the fabric of those. Exactly. Because if we're not going to accept Japanese imports, then we can't accept most children's cartoons from like the 80s and 90s. Especially so. these days, too. I remember like in the fledgling days of Saturday morning cartoons, all Fox Kids and all like Warner Brothers Kids WB was just dubbed shows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, we wouldn't be able to include some people like Megatron. I mean, like, True. there's there's no way a white American came up with Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> but man, was he cool. Yes. Um, so, okay, uh, Joel, you were the one who came up with this list in the first place. So, why don't you kick things off? What is one of your favorites slash, what's a character that, of a, a cartoon villain that you can't ignore? We gotta, we gotta mention in this list. Well, again, you know, I had originally pitched Saturday morning cartoon yes. villains. But and I that's like the idea of blowing it up even even bigger the, one of the characters that always sticks out of my mind because he's one of the funnest you know do the voice for skeletor of oh course. my god yes oh no it's he-man ah, beast man i think everyone has a good skeletor in them that's right uh ben made me cry laughing when we did our comic commentary on the spider-man and his amazing friends show when oh, he unearthed nice. skeletor because the idea was like, so anyone can be a sp- an amazing friend because they're also ineffectual, and it's like, <laughs> and I guess we could also add Skeletor because he's the most ineffectual villain of all time. Because he is Skeletor never really accomplishes anything, nope. and it wasn't until I saw the He-Man She-Ra Christmas special where they mer- where they crossed over Skeletor and Hordak that it mm. really became apparent that Skeletor is just just the worst. He kind of is. And then they even give, uh, what is it, a Hordak and him a boss above bosses, Horde Prime, who's just like a ship or something. Yeah, he's like a, he's like Zordon. He's a, he's a face behind a screen, you know. He's, but, uh, but I will say, I love the design of Skeletor, mm-hmm. and he's incredibly menacing. Every time that like they reimagine He-Man, and it seems like they do that every 15 years or so. They do. They're like, let's do another He-Man. They always try to like epic up Skeletor. They and it's really like, do. And it's like, you know what? Like, Give him all the freaking shoulder pads and shit <laughs> you want. Fact is, the dude is literally, he just looks like an undead barbarian warrior. It's true. It's so funny. You know, what does that say about Eternia that even the skeletons are jacked beyond belief yeah. in Eternia? Yeah, and that's not a blue leotard. That's his skin, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he is blue. Um, but uh, one of my proudest moments, actually, was one Kineticon, I met uh, I met uh, Oppenheimer, the guy, Alan Oppenheimer, the dude who played God. Skeletor. And uh, we, we did a little back and forth. We did an interview because, like, he also voiced Falcor from The NeverEnding Story, which we didn't Very talk good. about, um, which probably he appreciated. Uh, but uh, then we, we, we talked about, the, about his career for a while. And then at the end, 
I cut the camera. I didn't cut the camera, but I cut the the, the video, and I was like, listen. <laughs> I'm going to ask, like, uh, I'm. I was thinking we could do a bit at the end if you don't feel comfortable doing this without getting paid for it, because like, who? It's it's weird. The dude was paid to play Skeletor, right? This was his yeah. job for a good yeah. like eight years or so. He played Skeletor. To ask him to play Skeletor, you know, twenty, thirty years after the fact, is basically like giving him another job to do. Yeah, so I mean, you wouldn't ask a musician like, "Hey, play me something." Yeah, real quick. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just you, you know, just, just a little chopsticks, just you know, play me a little something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I said, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, that's totally fine. And he's like, oh no, 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 it, I, I do it all the time. I'm down. So that I said, uh, so then I wrap up the show with, by, by saying, um, so this has been a really fun show. Thank you, Alan, for being here. But what do you think Skeletor would think about a show like this? And he launched right into Skeletor, didn't miss miss a beat, and he said, my, you know, he's like, well, Sal, I'll tell you what I think about that. And I'm like, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> like, I, I don't have, I could become. I work at State Farm after this and just be like, yeah, but one time Skeletor made fun of me. And <laughs> it was great. And that's that's like one of the greatest honors of, that I've ever had. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Skeletor will always hold a place in my a special place in my heart as a villain, even though I think he was more effective in this Christmas special as being a hero that protected those children. It's true. It's true. I mean, you know, the, really thinking it because I like I wanted to think of a thesis for this episode when yeah. it comes to Saturday morning cartoon villains. They really are defined by constantly losing and not really being good at their jobs. But yeah. you almost respect them because they keep coming back to it every week and they're always at the drawing board where it's like, oh, I'm going to get them pesky kids this week, I tell you. Yeah, their their stick-to-itiveness, their dedication, it's just admirable. They they truly are some of the most dedicated people, men, women, and children, of the of the cartoon landscape. <laughs> yeah, I mean, G Gargamel, man. Come on, y'all. Every week, every week. A new to get into that Smurf village. And I, and I love they kept changing. What's like, well, what did you actually want, Gargamel? I, I want to, like, eat the Smurfs or turn them into gold or something. <laughs> I, don't remember, I don't remember why I want the Smurfs. I just want them. Entirely bizarre. Um, apropos 80s villains that are dedicated and also, like, have a brilliant design, I want to jump into Transformers because mm -hmm. I love Megatron. But for oh, me, yeah. one of my favorite villains from Transformers is Starscream. Yeah, the perfect scheming underling. He fits it, for many kids. That's the first trope of like the number two who wants to stab the number one guy in the back. Yes, the untrustworthy henchman. Like Starscream is everything that you will eventually. He's the he's the conduit through which that you can identify that trope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he absolutely is. But I love Starscream. First of all, brilliant voice, Cobra Commander's voice. <laughs> Yeah, it's just that. <laughs> Not even, like, a little bit. Like, is there going to be any confusion for these children? Like, d really? You just want me to do the Cobra Commander thing? Okay! Like, Which is even funnier because Megatron is Fred from Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, is that Frank Welker? Yes, it is. Yeah, he rocks. You know Welker doesn't do interviews? That's really depressing, really? isn't it? That He's sucks. like, no, I, I, I don't want to do interviews. I don't want to talk about my voice acting work because I don't want to kill the illusion for people if they know all these voices are coming out of me. That's very Lorenzo music of him. He's a he's a showman, isn't he? And I know uh, what is it? Uh, Rob Paulson, the dude who does Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, and like a dozen other and guests. everyone. Like he's Yakko Warner. He is Mister Opportunity from those old car commercials. He sure is. He, he is, is everyone. Voice acting, yeah, he has a voice acting podcast where he gets all his friends Talking on. Talking tunes. Been trying, Love that show. He's been trying for like 
four solid years to get Welker on, and Welker keeps shutting him down. Every I think they time. know each other too. Like they're friends. Like, well, they've worked together for a long time. They golf together, and he's just like, nah, nah, I can't do it. I don't want to kill the illusion. In that same uh, Oppenheimer episode, I do talk to Paulson as well, and he he sings a little bit of the Countries of the World song, and I was like, Ugh. oh, this is the greatest day ever. I'm sure he does it for everybody. I don't give a shit. If I learned that song and pioneered it, I would sing it everywhere I go. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama. Da, 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 <laughs> exactly. Love it. He fucking rocks, uh, man. And then, of course, he brings in Maurice LaMarge, who is going to be at Emerald City Comic Con along with the two of us, by the way. Ooh, we gotta hunt him down. I love uh, LaMarche because he's from Montreal. He's a Canadian. Is he really? He is, yeah. LaMarche for me is the 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 source of my laughter as a child for a long time. Um, number one, motherfucker played Egon Spengler in The Real Ghostbusters. Yes, he did. And he also played Orson Welles in all of the critic jokes about Orson Welles. <laughs> Yes, he sure did. An excellent impression, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically just Brain, whom he also plays from Piggy and the Brain. And uh, his... Oh, man, yes, always. It's just... It, but uh, his Orson Welles... I I knew his Orson Welles before I even knew who Orson Welles was. Same just here. so uh, funny. Did you know Maurice LaMarche was also Toucan Sam for a bit? I would believe that. Just was follow your nose, yeah. Follow your nose, but he got fired over the weirdest reason. You know why they fired him? No. He did a joke in The Simpsons where Bart's playing like a Grand Theft Auto knockoff called Serial Killers. Yeah. And and Maurice LaMarche goes in there and does Toucan Sam and does, you know, Captain Crunch and all the other characters. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're official. You didn't sign off on that. Right. That's fair, I guess. I mean, like, I wouldn't fire him, but like... Yeah, you can't just start doing the voices. The same thing we were talking about. This is a tangent, by the way, but we were talking about the the DC Hanna Barbera world, and Ethan yes. and I were like, "So when are we gonna get the Snagglepuss comic?" <laughs> Where he's like, nah, "Heavens to Murgatroyd, exit stage left, even." And fuck it, we do these jokes, right? Heavens to Murgatroyd, and the and the and the like. Insert thing I'm going to do. Uh, analogy for thing I'm going to do, comma, even. Then Ethan looks him up on Wikipedia, and we could practically be Snagglepuss experts. Like, we could be, like, brought into on a panel because those are the things that he has identified for being. But he's also, apparently, a joke or a spoof on um, the dude who played the Cowardly Lion from uh, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, I want to say I know his name, but I don't remember it. Um, but some courage. All I need is a little courage. Yeah, put him up, put him up. But he got a fucking C and D as well from that guy's estate because oh, they wow. were like Snagglepuss is literally just a joke. You're just doing that actor, and <laughs> god damn it, it kills me. I don't remember his name, but like that. Uh, that, that reminds me of the Simpsons episode there, where they're like animation is based on plagiarism. If you take away our right to do that, where are we gonna get our ideas from? Her. That's right, Bert Lar. Is the is the actor the, the Burt Lars estate was like yo, you're aping off Burt Lars work man, and then they had to because I think I think Snagglepuss like did a commercial or something, Bruh. or the actor who played Snagglepuss did a commercial and they were like and they had to put a special thing that was like this voice is not Burt Lar do not get confused by the voice of Burt Lar. Signed the Burt Lars estate. The funny thing about the Maurice Lamarge thing yeah. is he took that with good humor. It's like, eh, if they're going to fire me over anything, at least they fired me over a funny joke. That's fine. Yeah, plus he's Maurice Lamarge. He will get another job. Yeah, he has other gigs. Yeah, but that said, I love Starscream. Megatron's awesome. I felt like Frank Welker's still alive. Yeah. What the? If you got Peter, doing shit. if you got Peter Cullen to play Optimus Prime in those fucking garbage movies, 
Why not get Frank Weller to play Megatron? Dude Hugo, plays Megatron. Hugo Weaving's name on the poster, that's why. He only played him, like, what, twice, maybe? I mean, like, it's indecipherable. I mean, it, it, you kind of get Hugo Weaving's voice, but you don't need it. Just get Frank Welker. Motherfucker's great. Not only is Megatron great, but he's been consistently great with everyone who's voiced him over the years. You know who my favorite Megatron is? And mm-hmm. he came back and did him a couple times? Oh. David, David Kaye. Oh, is that Beast Wars Megatron? That is, and I think he came back and did the voice a couple more times. David Kay's been a bunch of different Transformers. It's like a special club. Once you get in, they bring you in all the time to do all the millions and millions of bots. But here's the fun thing. David Kay is also Clank from Ratchet and Clank, and he's from Peterborough. He's from two towns over from me where he lived and worked. That's awesome. That is awesome. I interviewed him once, which sadly I don't think that interview ever got to see the light of day. But uh, the funny thing is, is much like your story where you felt a little weird about asking the guy to do the voice, yeah. he just did the voices. Not only did David Kay do the voices, he impersonated other voice actors. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he's a, he's a fucking amazing guy, David Kay. <laughs> oh, man, that rocks. Um, so, all right, in the keeping with the animated villains of the list, what's another favorite of yours? Who, uh, well, here's one that I think I love them ironically because they suck so hard. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's it's a whole. That's every. Pantheon. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't have any real things to say, but like, the bad guy from the shitty Ghostbusters cartoon from Filmation for me holds a special oh, yeah. place in my heart just because he sucks so much. That guy sucks, but I would argue these guys suck more. The Captain Planet villains, because they were, you know, real... They were all really lame, but they were all, like, A-plus actors. Oh, yeah, Lord them. Scum, Duke Nukem, uh, Loot and Plunder, Dr. Blight, freaking, like, Meg Ryan. Yep, Meg Jeff Goldblum, Ryan. Uh, Dean Stockwell played Duke Nukem. It was, yeah, no. Amazing actors for these roles. Hoggish Greedly, don't forget Hoggish Yes, Greedly. of course. And, like... I, I have to assume that because the show was basically just a recycling commercial, yeah. that it was basically like a tax write-off. It's like recycling. It's like it's like donating clothes. Like For them, they're like, oh, no, 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 I'll do that job, and that will be like a tax write-off for me. <laughs> it's like public service. I'll work off my DUI doing this. Yeah, playing Duke Nukem for six years. <laughs> my favorite thing about those villains is that they were so cartoonishly evil to the point where it made no sense. Or it's like, I will take this tanker of oil and drive it into a beach to kill all these baby seals. Or you could, you know, like, sell the oil maybe and make a bunch of money. No, no, gotta kill these baby seals. No yeah, way around. Well, because we also have to, like, I they need to be, like, driving the oil carrying helicopter that we're also going to make a toy out of. Like, we can't yep. just sell the figures, because, by the way, they made a lot of Captain Planet figures. They sure but, did. Damn it. Yeah, those were all terrible. Uh, oh, let's not forget, to a pink flying saucer that deforest area so Hoggish Greedly could make a bunch of wood furniture. Yes. Which, which the thing, too, is, which, you know, ended up causing landslides and a bunch of other stuff due to deforestation. And in my mind, I'm like, well, did he have a logging right to those trees? I'm not saying he's (laughs) right or anything. (laughs) It's just you planeteers are kind of acting like eco-terrorists here if he had a logging right to the trees. Yeah, dude, yeah, like, listen, I know that, like, no one can own the trees, but, like, there's a deed somewhere... So, so says the Lorax. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want, like, Hoggish Greedly to pull out a paper and be like, yeah, but here's my, like, uh, eco footprint here. I'm actually offsetting these trees yeah. and everything, so I'm actually totally above board, Planeteers. Yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a complicated that's a complicated universe. I remember, um, I apropos Captain Planet and our weird lives and how they, inter- like, how our pasts will influence our jobs, um... 
I looked up... Tiffany had a unbelievable Captain Planet pitch. Oh, yeah? I was just like... We were we were at a Mexican restaurant just talking about Captain Planet, and she was like, you know what you gotta do? And she gave this... She dropped this bomb. This eco-bomb on this table. And I was like... <laughs> and we were all, like, in awe, but I was like, this is fucking good, though. And I looked up, like, who has the comic book publishing rights for Captain Planet? Found that question. DC had them originally... Uh-huh. And then they just fell off. So I contacted our rep at DC and was like, do you have the Captain Planet <coughs> publishing rights? Can you contact someone at editorial for me? Like, we have a friend there. I was like, this is worth me risking my relationship with DC Comics to pitch a Captain Planet, like, post-apocalyptic comic series. Oh, no. And now she was like, no. She was like, I don't know. And I, anyone that does know, like, I asked somebody, I, I asked them and they said, no, we don't have it. Or actually, no, I think they said, we don't know and we're not interested. <laughs> like, Here's the thing, Sal. You should totally pursue that because now is the time for it. If you've been reading the Kyle Higgins Power Ranger comic. Oh, yeah. He's, to- he's totally going in that direction of, like, elevating the material. There's, like, an alternate days of future past for the Power Rangers where Tommy stayed evil and overthrew Rita. Oh, and crap. now he's, like, lording over a destroyed Earth and everything. And I'm like... Boom. Well, I mean, like, the fact that DC's publishing a post-apocalyptic Scooby-Doo series or a Wacky yes, Raceland series or the uh, the Future Quest book, like, come on, give me this Captain Planet opportunity. So, Look, 90s nostalgia will be with us for a while. Now is the time for Now is the time Planet. to strike while the iron's hot. You've got to build an audience. DC or whoever owns the Captain Planet rights for, pu- for comic book publication contact me i, I, I promise it you would go back to ted turner if dc doesn't have them anymore my guess and ted turner's a lunatic dude canceled swat cats because it was too violent love uh, that i loved swat cats too swat man, cats man, is great but it they, didn't they, have a, they, it didn't have any memorable villains there's nobody like really that worth it they were colorful and interesting like that like that weird cultish cat that had like the robes and the book dark cat dark cat thank you Brilliant name. Uh, <laughs> Bring these creatures through the portal. <laughs> there was also the two, like, you know, 1920 gangster cats, uh, like Molly Mange and something. Get it? Because they're all cat puns. Right? Man, that show must have been an awakening for furries. Oh, God. I can only imagine. Holy so. shit. I. <laughs> Yet again, another show made by Canadians, two dudes from Montreal. They had a Patreon. To try and bring the show back in some way. I don't think they actually reached their goal. Because I know I was following it very closely. Oh man. If they wanted to make a SWAT Cats comic. I would have fucking thrown in some bones for that one. Hell yeah man. But uh, if we want to talk about ineffectual villains. That were on hugely successful shows. Then we can't ignore Shredder, Bebop, Rocksteady, yes. and Krang. That's just the Technodrome gang from Basically the original the poster Trills. childs for ineffectual 80s villains. Just the absolute worst. And they were like, and they were menacing. By accident, they could they could slaughter uh, like families. And yet, every time they tried to do anything, they had interdimensional technology at their fingertips, bladed shoulder pads. Armies of robots. Oh, and uh, half man, half bestial monsters. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do a damn thing. Couldn't tie their goddamn shoelaces. Couldn't fight four teenagers who love pizza. Nope, nope. I also love that, like, well after the show ended, someone was like, "Hey, Uncle Phil is Shredder," and I'm like, <gasps> and I can't, Amazing, right? I can't get them out of my. Every time I hear Shredder, I just hear Uncle Phil yelling at Will. 
And he's more intimidating yelling at Will a lot of the time than he yeah. was at Shredder. Well, because that dude could act. You saw, the like, when he got those eyes going, like, man, he was terrifying. Shredder is just Bugging like... right the hell out. Mostly because you didn't know what Uncle Phil was capable of. With Shredder, he pulled out the stops <laughs> every week, and he couldn't do a damn thing. Oh, poor guy. And, and, no, I would argue Shredder, he's one of the few dudes where, you know, he actually kind of does have a reason to do what he does because he has a history with uh what is it with splinter yeah and everything but but even then it's past the point of reason where it's like dude cut your losses now is your revenge that important dude shredder if you patented your communicator technology or your module subterranean drilling technology that could literally go to the center of the earth (laughs) or hell how about your interdimensional portal technology or your subterranean technodrome technology anything that you have could be sold for millions. One thing, you drop it during a battle with the turtles, and some rando is gonna make a fortune off of you. You toolbox. That's that's totally a comic they need to do, and then Shredder's just trying to hunt this dude down in Silicon Valley who stole his technology. Oh my god, that'd be great to see like a Zuckerberg just like sitting pretty on his stupid communicators, and then this this guy shows up with like all these knives on his body dressed like a cheese grater what a yes, purple I, have, cape. I have an appointment yeah you fool <laughs> uh yeah security can you please take this guy away we can't touch him i'll cut myself what, what about slash too? talk about a guy with oh, a cool yeah. name and a cool back story but was not cool in the slightest he was anti-cool slash sucks Sure All the villains, does. Rat King, underutilized. You never saw that dude. I had his figure and never saw him in a cartoon like more than twice. Cool design. I loved the glowing red eyes and when he would do the fedora trench coat things. Oh yeah, yeah. Nothing weird. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Here's a villain that was incredibly effective, or at least really terrifying and awesome. Uh, this is going back a ways, but Skullmaster from Mighty Max. Which, if you've never watched the Mighty Max cartoon show, I guarantee you every single episode is available for free on YouTube. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Rob Paulson plays a teenage boy named Max from the adorable Polly Pocket ripoff Mighty Max. Uh, (laughs) Skullmaster's voiced by Tim Curry because Tim Curry played everyone back then. The Uh, the guy from the Mighty Ducks, uh, Captain Hook from Peter Pan and the the Pirates. Pirates, That's a good villain. another, Another great villain. Tim Curry's Captain Hook from Peter Pan and the Pirates. Fox's Peter Pan and the Pirates was unbelievably great. Uh, Layered and sympathetic, and you're like, wow, he genuinely doesn't want to be in Neverland. It sucks (laughs) when you're an adult. Yeah, but uh, but Skullmaster is cool, scary, effective, and... just unbeatable he's just he was just this constant thorn in max's side and like it it gave the show Skullmaster helped but also just the show itself had this utterly bleak and unending feeling to it right up until the end right up until the last episode which basically says it never ends and you're like what is happening to my psyche like i am in an existential crisis and i have to catch the bus yeah, i have real. to go to school I now cartoons drop shit like that on you yeah i have to learn fractions in a minute and i don't even know what end is up but uh but yeah skullmaster's awesome <laughs> skullmaster that was a cool i mean really any character tim curry played became more awesome just because it was tim curry doing the voice same with tony j oh yeah Oh yeah, Megabyte from Reboot. Now that that was actually a good villain. That Great a villain, villain. A lot going on, and, and a good reason to do what he did. It's like I am a virus. My function is to destroy and corrupt. It's yeah. what I do. I wouldn't be doing my function if I didn't do this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And Megabyte rocks. Another villain who won in the end too. Yeah, 
Megabyte was awesome. All the villains in Reboot were great. Uh, I can't remember the queen's name, but... Uh, uh, Hexadecimal. Thank you, Hexadecimal. Uh, just a fantastic... It was great because she had, like, a real, like, mental illness because she kept switching personalities. Yeah, she was bipolar. It's terrifying. <laughs> Ups and downs. And she had a Catwoman-like relationship with Bob, too, is the funny thing. I loved it. Yeah. It was really well done. You, you hear they're bringing Reboot back, but it's going to suck now. I keep hearing that. I've heard that every every five years or so I hear they're bringing Reboot back. The dudes who created Reboot were at New York Comic Con last year or the year before, and I remember came, right going back. up to them being like, what have you got? And they're like, here it is. And I'm like, that's not a show. That's not a comic. You have nothing. You yeah, are liars. Yeah, I think uh, I think Dan DiDio back in the day was actually part of Rainmaker. I think he was one of the early guys in that, actually. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that for a fact, though. Which the fact that he doesn't talk about it that much, I think, says a lot (laughs) for his stake in it. Well, that's like, um, I looked up, there's a dude who owns, like, who gets paid for every Batman movie that came out. I don't remember what the hell his name is, but he's, like, a producer. Um, But, like, he, like, intelligently recognized the value of Batman, like, when Michael E. Uslan, uh, Michael Mm. Uslan recognized the value of Batman back when no one recognized the value of Batman and, like, purchased some, like, percentage of the rights to Batman. Oh, wow. And never let go. And then when, like, the Burton Batman movies came up, like, he just got, he got a producer credit and he gets money and he gets paid every time Batman does anything outside the comics. And, uh, Uslan also created this show in the car in the 80s called Dino Saucers. (laughs) Yes, I remember Dino Saucers. (laughs) Just Uh, the name tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and, of course, you got Genghis Rex and the Tyrannos. My favorite, of course, was Ankleo. Because uh, he's like an ankylosaur, and he was like a pig monster. But anyway, <laughs> but Uslan reminded me of the fact that, like, I doubt you would if you asked if you did an interview with Uslan, and you were like, he'd be like, okay, we're going to talk about what a genius I am for acquiring Batman. I'd be like, yeah, tell me more about your ideas behind Dino Saucer. Yeah, I really, really want to know. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So what what else have you got? Uh, hey, here's some villains for with a historical context for you right here. Uh, Boris and Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle. I hate all of those cartoons. Really? Do I, you now? I hate them, like, in a way that if, like, someone offered me a cheese sandwich and the sacrifice was that it would erase Rocky and Bullwinkle and every <laughs> influence from existence, I wouldn't even blink. I Not don't a- like those shows. That is like, that's like Sports Night to me. A, really? a show that, because Sports Night's a show that was billed as a comedy without a single goddamn fucking joke in it. And Bo- and Rocky and Bullwinkle was a cartoon show that was like, here's entertainment. And it doesn't have a single entertaining aspect to it. As a child, my parents were like, watch this. It's a cartoon. It must be interesting and entertaining. Not even a moment of entertainment. Fuck uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Morris and Natasha, Fractured Fairy Tales, uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. All of it can rot in hell and die. I do not have any affinity or nostalgia for them. And I watched them all. I don't have any interest in those in those properties. Boris and Natasha are this weird holdover Cold War joke. Who is that for? I know. That's that's why they stuck out so much in my mind. I'm like, really? Really? Yeah. So freaking weird. Yes, Moose and Squirrel are natural enemies. We uh, we stand in line for bread, and we are secret spies because we are carryover from American international fear. But we hunt down retarded moose and silly squirrel. Like, what is this cartoon? 
Who is this for? Hey, hey, man, you know, Boris Badnov gave me a hope that if I just tried, a, uh, you know, hard enough, I could date totally out of my league. Because <laughs> let's face it, Natasha was out of Boris's league. Come on, we all know. Naturally. That. But don't worry, <laughs> because at the very least, you know who's definitely, oh, my God. Don't worry, Raging Bulls Robert De Niro will wait later play Boris in the live-action Rocky and Bullwinkle. No, wait, he played Supreme Leader, right? He played, he like played, the, he played Fearless Leader. Fearless Leader. Jason Alexander, who Play. Oh yes, uh, 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 Emmy award-winning actor Jason Alexander played Boris. Fuck that sure universe. Did. Who owns that? that? I'm gonna look that, that up. So fucking weird. That live-action Rocky and Bullwinkle movie they did. I watched. Uh, I watched maybe five minutes of that movie. I was like, oh my god. It was on HBO, and I was like, let's see how how terrible this is. Because I I wasn't gonna waste my time because I knew like this is not for me. I don't go out of my way to watch things that I think are going to be bad. What's even funnier about that movie is that at the end it tries to be a message movie about how television rots your brain. And I'm like, yes, as a really brain-rotting movie. Yeah, like a garbage movie based on like a a, 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 a valueless show. Fucking what? Bizarre. If nothing else, that show did teach me about like radio shows. How it's like, will they get out of this one? Come back next time. Which in truth is a lot like comics too. Yeah, that's true. That That's is kind true. of the thing for serialized storytelling. You know, you always got to end it on a big note. And you always got to want them, you know, come back next time. Yeah. Now, here's a question. Is Mumra an ineffectual villain or is he cool? Because <laughs> hmm. I think I'm still asking myself that question like 30 years later. He's, he's definitely cool and he definitely gets by on sheer intimidation factor. I think if we look at the win-loss record on him, it's mm. probably not so great. I don't know. I've never, I mean, like, what, how, what do you, what constitutes a win? I mean, I think if, if nothing else, the Thundercats did a pretty good job selling the threat of Mumra, where yes. it's like every week, oh man, guys, we just barely made it out of that one, didn't we? You know what it might be? And the reason why we think that like Skeletor and Shredder are totally lame, but Mumra might be cool. And I think it's the fact that Mumra was really good at delegating. He never, he, really was. he never just, he never got his hands dirty. Like he would transform, but then never did anything. Like he, he, he would turn into Macho Man Randy Savage, but would never suplex anybody. It was bizarre. Like, but Shredder, like constantly, like you'd have Shredder, like in a trench coat and hat, like stealing April. And you're like, you have, you have robot ninjas that could do this for you, man. Like, what are you, what are you doing getting involved? It's true. When you're the evil emperor, you should never have to dirty your own hands. You should never have to make yourself look weak by getting down there with your henchmen. Another perfect example of that, Lord Zed from the Power Rangers. Yes. He rarely, if ever, you know, you know, messed it up with them. And the few times he did, they were sure to sell to being like, wow, I barely got out of that alive. Yeah, no, that's true. No, Lord Zed was always a, it was, was he, he matched his intimidating look with a, with, with a good delegation. I liked that. Mm -hmm. Even though as time would go on, they would, you know, marry him and Rita off and they would be more like, they would become more comedy villains. They would become more like the Shredder. Yeah, I would there not was a be whole, surprised. There was a whole season in Zio where it was them and the few putties they could muster and, you know, everything else because they had been supplanted by the new villains. And then those villains had been supplanted, but they kept them around because they had the costumes. <laughs> and they were they were no joke driving around on the moon in a camper just trying to get to the next place. And that was like a whole subplot of them just driving around in a oh camper. My God. Um, breaking my no anime rule for just a second. Can we talk about Jesse and James and Team Rocket? <laughs> 
Yes, talk about another example of villains who they lost every week, but they were still at it. They were still trying. As a as a as as a person too probably too old to be watching Pokemon at the time, why were they villains? I understand it's, they were trying to steal Pikachu. Even though they passed up the opportunity to steal much rarer Pokemon, it was an obsession. It was a real obsession. And the fact, too, when you meet other villains at Team Rocket, like, uh, oh, God, who were their more evil counterpart? Oh, Butch and Cassidy. Get it? Jesse James, Butch and Cassidy. Oh, my God. And then, and then later there was Attila <laughs> and Hun, who was, like, the girl team. They, they little, kept doing that. It's a little more on the nose. Um, what was with their little song? Oh yeah, they, they they just practiced that. They never. I don't think they ever gave a reason for that. It was just a thing they did. But the thing they did, it doesn't indicate villainy or evil whatsoever. It's no, they about, just want to climb the corporate structure. It's of about helping people enterprise. and love. Like I don't get it. It's their motto was was bafflingly proactive and friendly, and yet they were considered villains. Just a just a just a con, uh, just a pile of hypocrisy and confusion. Those characters. Funnier still, because the show is as long as it is. Eventually, we got focus episodes on Jesse and James. Oh, and I'm sure they were they, tragic. <laughs> they were. They were. They were sympathetic backstories. Uh, James comes from a rich family, and they were going to marry him off to a woman he didn't love. Because let's face it, J James is probably gay. I'm you know, just just saying. Yeah. And, and he left, and he ran away from home, and he joined Team Rocket. And Jessie, she wanted to be a Nurse Joy, but obviously that wasn't going anywhere because she's no. not Joy <laughs> in a world not. where there's only Nurse Joy. So she quit that job and ran off to join Team Rocket. That's that's that, that's interesting because that's a great thing that makes your villains more interesting and, and makes them worth it is having some kind of some kind of relatability and tragic backstory. Yeah. Now, people. E even Meowth is his backstory is sad. <laughs> I know, I've heard Meowth's backstory. Jesus Meowth. Oh yeah, th that he only learned to talk so another uh Meowth would like him and then, you know, he got rejected, so he also went off to join the bad guys. Oh my god. Um I I know wasn't a huge SpongeBob fan, but I always liked when Plankton would show up, another great villain. Good voice actor. Good voice actor. Um him? Mandark from uh, Dexter. Oh yeah, Mandark. I hate that voice. I hate that guy. <laughs> and then you're watching War Games, and he shows up, and I'm like, Ah, Mandark! This movie's thirty years old. You sound exactly the same. <laughs> Dude, you watch Polar Express, and the nerdy kid, I'm like, That's just Mandark. That's Mandark again. Mandark. That's just Mandark. You... Mandark, I enjoyed because he is, you know, very much of that ilk of car Golden Age Cartoon Network villain who could ride the line between being funny and entertaining, but also being threatening when he needed to be. Yes, like Mojo Jojo. Exactly like Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo was, was like my favorite character for like a good five years. Just the funniest. He's amazing. I love that character. That's uh, Roger Jackson, who also played the voice of the voice on the phone in Scream. Oh wow! Yeah, Mojo Jojo, like oh. <laughs> I think I think Cartoon Network made that joke actually at one point. I would not be surprised, but he's amazing. Uh, I loved Mojo Jojo. Uh, my favorite, of course, is just another just another manic Mojo, which Excellent is the one where episode. Mojo makes breakfast. It's amazing. Curses! Curses! <laughs> but you see, I need two eggs to have a fully nutritious <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> I would like to purchase some eggs so they can travel home with me, and I could eat them today <laughs> and maybe tomorrow. I love the Meet the Beatles episode where he becomes the John Lennon of the evil supergroup. That ugh, my friend uh, in college was an un was a diehard Beatles fan, and he sees this episode and he is just like he is beside himself with 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 delight. And then he, and then Yoko Mojo shows up. and He's like, ah, she's Yoko and she can't <laughs> sing. This is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> 
And she's a performance criminal who's like, hey, look, you know, Moko Jono's got some great ideas for us, guy. <laughs> yeah. It's all right because it's all white. All right. This is annoyance crime number 34. <laughs> <laughs> the real villain of that show, of course, was him, the transvestite yes. character. Who is based on the blue meanie from uh, Yellow Submarine. Another Beatles reference. Another Beatles reference. Um, great villain. Terrifying. Weird. Every time I'd see him, I'd be like, Why? And like everyone, thankfully, everyone in the show would would like see him and go, oh, like oh him, why? Yeah. <laughs> like they acknowledged yeah. how weird, and creepy that character was. I always liked it. I don't know if you ever remember this one, but it was essentially Powerpuff Girls doing their take on Days of Future Past. Mm, I don't remember they that went, one. Yeah, they essentially they, they did the Flash thing. They broke the Speed Force because they were flying too quick, mm -hmm. and they go to a future where they had been absent for like fifty years. And Townsville is a complete and utter wasteland, and him rules over it because, of course, him ended up on top of all the other villains. Right. And him essentially takes his her true form, and it is just straight up Satan. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's a really well put together episode. Yeah, that's awesome. You know who's a great villain in a great show? Uh, both, well, these are two villains, but I'll say them all. Like, all the villains from Gargoyles. Yes, oh my god, yes. Demona's a tragic villain. Xanatos is, like, barely a villain. Give him, end, another, yeah. give him another ten years and he's just Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He, he even has his own war battle suit. Don't forget about Macbeth. <laughs> Oh like, god, I love Macbeth. As a man of Scottish descent, I really like Macbeth. Oh yeah. No, just, I loved all those villains, and they, whenever they showed up, I'm like, oh no, and they're not like a joke, and they're always really effective, and they often won, because what they wanted was like an emotional victory. <laughs> it's true, it's true. That's, that's really good children's TV writing right yeah. there. Apropos, like, complicated, really, really, like, dynamic villains for children, one of the greatest, probably most like, hated villains of all time that no one will dispute is Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah. It's funny, man. We were to I was totally going to Avatar, and then you went to Avatar. A Azula is just the worst. and in Wonderful the, arc for her villainy. Unbelievable. And, like, they don't do that ham-fisted thing where it's like, we're going to bring her back from the dark side. No, just a straight up, just a monster. And to see her grow more and more unhinged as that series goes on. Unbelievable. And then I remember I remember when they were working on Korra, before Korra mm -hmm. came out and broke my heart. Uh, when they were working on it... We still need to have that show where Joel the Korra apology. Yes, and I can talk about how terrible it is. I have to watch the rest of it. I didn't see the last season because I was like, I don't watch things I know I'm not going to enjoy. The, the, the thing about Korra is I the thing I think it actually drops the ball hardest in is the villains because of the shortened time. They only give you the Freudian excuse for the villains basically after they've already been defeated. Yeah. Um, but I remember hearing like, I remember in an interview with the guys from, from avatar, they were like, uh, is there anyone still alive in the core world? And they said that Azula was the only one that survived. Yeah. And I was like, that's not fair, but fucking awesome. Then it turns out no, that's not true. But when that was the 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 only like the only thing that cl the cloud over our heads was like the only one who, who's still alive from that era is Azula. I was like, that's mm. fucking cool. Yeah. And then they just wasted it. But uh, but really cool idea. Azula's just an amazing villain. That that whole show filled with a bunch of great villains. Oh my Zuko, god, Suko, who starts off as a Team Rocket esque villain yeah. who can't do anything right. 
and then eventually starts getting little victories in his own little side thing, and then eventually comes full circle. Well, and discovers like how much more effective he is as an actual hero. Um, mm. I loved how the villains would grow, like they would become more True. complicated. Like that's a hard thing to do. Even a even like Fang, even the Clancy Brown guy, yeah, had a little arc to him. Well, I mean, like okay, so like season one, your major bad guy is like the the clownish Zuko, but like at the end of the season, you have the black and white. I want to take over the world by destroying the moon. What the hell is that guy's name? <laughs> Oh, Zhao. Uh, yeah, Admiral Zhao. Uh, He's voiced by uh, Draco Malfoy's dad. From yeah, so great. But Zhao is a obvious, like, black and white bad guy, right? So, like, mm. okay, they defeat him. You know you've won. Then you go to Bossing Sing Se in season two, and your villain is wearing a smile. And he works for the government. And he's, like, you know what I mean? Like, your villains become more uh, nebulous, and you're not quite sure who is really a villain. And it's it's preparing your audience to, like, go, yes, like, there are some vil- there are some villains. As, as Captain Picard would say, villains who twirl their mustaches are easily cam- are easily spotable. But like those who clothe themselves in good deed are, are well camouflaged. Like these, yeah. until you get to like really really badass cartoonish villains like the Bloodbender, and you're like, what? Oh, this yeah. happened? Like those moments are cool. Every character they they created for for v- being a villain in that show was 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 top. Was very well put together. Cora had a lot of good ideas for villains, but they just weren't fleshed out enough. A no. lot of, iron, ironically, the best one is the first, the first one. one. Amon, yeah. Yep, first one easily. Like I was like, and then they kill him, and you're like, but they didn't, right? Like he's gonna be the villain for the rest of the show. No, and then, they nope. Did that. Um, yeah, I mean, Henry Rollins was the voice of a villain in a third one, and they couldn't build him up any, which is really unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Because Henry Rollins is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I guess we could talk about some comic book cartoon shows. Like, Ooh, oh, I, I don't I, know. I, I had I had one more for okay. cartoonish ineffectual villains. Here's a show you probably missed, but it's one that I always kind of give a thumbs up for mm-hmm. in how they portrayed it. Uh, this this was like in the dying days of the kids WB and Saturday morning cartoons. Do you remember Shaolin Showdown? I don't. No. There was a villain in that show, Jack Spicer, who was like an evil boy adventurer and everything. You know, he's like if Dexter went to the dark side, essentially. Okay. And he, he fought all these magic kids with his own invention. So already, you kind of got a cool mysticism versus science thing going on. Much like all those other cartoon villains we talked about, he lost constantly. <laughs> okay. He was a giant loser. But the thing is, the show realized this, and the heroes would even make fun of him for it. To the point where it's like, wow, now I feel more sympathetic for him and less sympathetic for the heroes. And he he wrote this really interesting line of like the writers realizing that this kid continues to fail, yeah. but keeps coming back over and over again and keeps screwing himself because the few times he tries to mess around with magic, he ends up you know working for like much more evil forces than himself. Right. And and you think like, oh well, is he gonna you know join the good guys team? No, he doesn't. He's like, no, I'm happy with myself and I'm happy where I am in life with my robots and my schemes and everything. <laughs> I'm I'm just not going to be a take-over-the-world kind of villain. I'm just going to be a mess-with-you kind of villain. He's basically like a Captain Cold. Okay, that's fine. That's a cool character. I like that development. He's a really good... I think he was the reason I kept watching that show, honestly, because I'm like, man, what are they going to do with this guy? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman the Animated Series uh, is the show with all the best villains, and yep. that's really all you can say. Like, everyone is great, everything's Even perfect. Even the one-offs. Except for Roxy Rocket, every villain is fantastic. And Sewer King. And, no, the Sewer King's cool, too! Cause it's just I a, don't like Sewer He's King. an anti- uh, uh, fucking what the hell's that character's name from Oliver Twist? Uh, oh, Fagin. Fagin. He's an anti-Fagin. He's a great character. 
My pretties! Oh, yeah. The Underdwellers. You know why I like that episode so much? It's because it's done by the A-Team animation team. It's true. It looks really nice. It is beautiful. It also has... That that episode has a 1930s Batman car, comic book moment. Because, like, there's a... Uh, in the first few ep- issues of Batman, when he first came onto the scene... he All just, about the guns, right? He murdered his villains! And one of them... Yeah. He fights Dr. Death, and he punches Dr. Death, and he falls off a railing and just dies. And he says, death for Dr. Death. No, Dr. <laughs> death burns to death. I'm sorry. But wow. uh, Dr. Death dies, and he says, death for Dr. Death, or something like that. And it mm-hmm. reminded me of when uh, the the Fagin character falls into the crocodile pit. Yeah. And they swarm him, and you think they ate him. And you're like, as a child, you're like, holy shit. And then Batman says, a gruesome fate for a gruesome man. Gruesome man, yeah. And you're like, whoa, is Batman cool killing this dude? And then you're, and then at the end of the episode, he's like, yeah, I, I wish to heaven I could. Like, And you're like, whoa, this is dark! Like, No, that episode has some great stuff. The moment where uh, they, they kind of fold in the anti-gun message where the kid takes one of his father's trophy guns and he points it mm-hmm. at Alfred. And then Batman just takes it away and says, kids and guns do not mix. And I'm like, right on. Yeah. And you'll never you'll notice you'll never see that trophy room again. My assumption is the kid goes home and the Batman just tears the whole room down with his hands. <laughs> yeah, that's something he would do. He goes, Tommy was so on the room. Ah. Well, like the time when uh, when Gordon got shot by the Jazz Man and then he just destroys yes. the cave. It's amazing. That's true. That was it's a great so scene. So great, oh, man. But anyway, Batman Beyond uh, or Batman the cartoon show had a great show. Superman, of course, gave us my definitive dark side. It's a wonderful interpretation. That's the voice I read the character in. Every it's the only time. voice to use. Screw everybody who says different. I don't. I, I don't accept growling dark side from War. Hate I don't accept all state dark side from the apocalypse episode. No, it is Michael Ironside until the end. Dude knew how to be like sadistic, but also a tyrant, and like he could when and when affluent. Yeah, when he was hurt, you felt it because you're mm-hmm. like the dude would never betray pain. And so when he's actually harmed, you're like, whoa! I am a, a great many things, Kal-El, but on Apocalypse, I am, I am God. God. Such a great that character. That blew my mind as a kid on Saturday morning. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! Yeah, just so perfect. The cartoons just got deep as hell. Yeah. Lex Luthor, Clancy Brown's definitive Lex Luthor. Hell yeah. Unbelievably perfect. Uh, Brainiac, great voice, great villain. Yes. And yes. defined the best version of Brainiac. It's true. It really, really is. Yeah, just so great. Everybody. So, yeah. Did uh, Did you know the guy who does Brainiac in Superman the Animated Series? He's he's the Disney Captain Hook now. Whenever you hear Disney's Captain Hook, that's him. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Corey Burton. That's who it is. No, oh, okay. That's weird. That's that's him. Every time you hear, like in the Kingdom Hearts games, that's Corey Burton talking. That's Brainiac. Okay. Um. Batman Beyond tried really hard to have some great villains, and it they did. They never quite, quite made work. it. Ink, I think, is the most recognizable. She keeps coming back, and as they make a solid point of showing in Batman Beyond, he never beats her on his own. No, he always gets saved by something else. Which is why I love the Kyle Higgins 2.0 comic. He actually does end <clears throat> up kind of uh, getting a victory on his own in that one. Oh, nice. Good. Which, which he was sure to make reference. I think Ink even says, you know, you've never beaten me on your own. That's cool. I like that. So it's him kind of grow. Ironically, the other best villain on that show never said a goddamn thing. Curare. Oh, yeah. He's a great villain. She was a she. <laughs> she was great. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was mixing Curare with Craven the Hunter for some reason. 
Oh, they, they had a Craven the Hunter. I was thinking of that character. guy. I'm sorry. That's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of the Craven the Hunter ripoff character. Oh, what the hell was his name? Dark Stalker or some something shit. really lame. That's all I could think. Like, even as a young kid, I'm like, you're just Craven the Hunter. Come yep. on. Don't Try. tell me you're not. Uh, the Royal Flush Gang, I really liked their version of the Royal Flush Gang. I only liked. Okay, I see who Kirari is now. I don't really remember that character. Again, um, she never said anything. She she was the last holdout of the League of Assassins. She was sent in to kill Barbara's husband, who was like a district attorney. And then when she failed, the League turned on her. But then she actually killed the rest of the League. I remember that. Uh, I really liked... For me, I didn't really care for the Royal Flush Gang. I didn't understand like where they came from or why they kept coming back. But Ten was a great character. She was, which, again, also got a lot of good stuff in the Kyle Higgins run. That does not surprise me. Ten was Terry's Catwoman and was yep. perfect. Like, mm -hmm. that moment... I, I love how, like, nebulously amoral that show was at times, where, like, oh, yeah. Ten resurfaces, and then Terry and Ten, like, totally bang, and he, mm -hmm. like, he has the opportunity to tell her to go home and go out with Dana, and he, like, doesn't take the call... Or, you know, he takes the call and he lies to her and then hooks up with Ten. Dana gets so abused in that show. The writers even say, man, if we could have done it over again, we would totally not have been so mean to Dana. Do you remember them talking about, like, how the end was supposed to come? Like, yes. what their plan was? And then Paul Dini, like, threw a goddamn shit fit. Yeah, that uh, he was supposed to hook up with uh, with Max, and Deanie was like, no, no, she's one of the guys. It would be like Batman hooking up with Alfred. No, yeah, he's like, no. no, it's not true. And it's like, no, Max gets Terry. Dana's just, like, arm candy. She does not a, really a character. Like, get rid of her. But whatever, there, it's uh, fine. There was actually one episode where we're talking about villains. Batman Beyond had a bunch of villains that could have been great, but never got a second kick at the can. That's right. There was there was one called Rats, where she meets essentially like a killer croc stand, and who's like a mutant rat boy. Okay. Who... Who, who starts off kind of kidnapping Dana, but then ends up treating her better than Terry ever <laughs> Aw. But then when she finally realizes, like, ah, oh, yeah, you're a creepy rat boy. I should probably leave. And he's like, I don't like getting rejected. Oh, my God. Yeah. Then there was Willie Watt, who was in a bunch of weird episodes. Because the first time we see him, he's a nerdy kid getting bullied. He gets psychic powers, and he controls, like, a big golem robot. That was their school shooting episode, basically. That was. Then they cart him off to jail, and eventually the school gets haunted, and they think, oh, Jesus, is this a ghost? No, he's actually making the stuff happen with his psychic powers from jail. And interestingly, he's gotten all jacked since, like, last we saw him. And I'm like, oh, he's kind of like a dark mirror to Terry now, because Terry did time in juvie, and he yeah. found himself there that he wanted to be a hero. Here's a nerdy kid who's found himself in jail, but he's embracing the dark villainous side. I'm like, man, why didn't they do more with that character? Yeah, I agree. Because Terry uh, had no arch enemy, he really didn't. No, there was they they tried with like the main like the 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 oh, god uh, powers. Yes, powers, and then they killed him, and I'm like, thank God. He was he wasn't very good. <laughs> good, he's lame. He, he um, was a lame atomic skull, is what he was. Like, and no one, and atomic skull is a lame atomic skull. It's true. <laughs> and even in the last seasons too of Batman Beyond, they tried to give him a two face. Uh, in yeah. a character called Big Time, who was a dude who he knew back from his days being like a juvenile delinquent, and they make him, they turn him into the Elephant Man, basically. Yeah. No, um, they, they tried twice. They did like two episodes back to back with him. Yeah, like, where the what? writers were like, "No, no, 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 we got it, we got it this time, though. We'll make it." Nah, it never took. Don't, yeah, don't waste your time. Um, in the in keeping with effectual villains, we should we need to we can't leave the show without mentioning Aku from Samurai Jack. 
Yes, love that guy. Mako. Mako. I don't know what they're going to do because Samurai Jack is coming back this March. I know, right? Because we heard like two. I, I had to go into my own videos. I'm like, didn't I make a video about this like two years ago? I did. Then nothing happened. Yeah. And now it's now it's here. Um, or it's right on our doorstep. Uh, we'll probably get the Korea. guy who played Mako in the later episodes of Korra and everything when he had to talk. Noticeably not Mako, by the way. They were like, yeah. oh, he's indistinguishable. I'm like, just because you say that doesn't make it not so. I have an ear yeah. for voices, and he's totally different. And Mako was so funny, too, for a character who was threatening and funny simultaneously. Uh, and Aku never lost. No, like, no, he didn't. He would lose on a weekly basis in as much as he didn't kill Jack and get the sword. But... Jack still never wins. Yeah, yeah, they were always draws. And he always and he still ruled the world. You're right. It's like no, Aku never lost. He he's the one villain who like wins first and then never freaking loses. It's true. It's you know, the, man, when you look at Samurai Jack, that was just like a whole man, that, that was depressing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very depressing. It was part um, of its charm. And of course, uh, more in the more recent spectrum of cartoon villains for children's shows, uh Bill Cipher is a great villain. Mm, yeah. If you've never watched Gravity Falls and you haven't seen Bill Cipher, he is alluded to throughout the entire show. He doesn't even show up until later on. Amazing, great villain, sadistic and great. Uh, uh, Alex, I thought you were going to say Little Gideon. <laughs> little Gideon. Fuck Little Gideon. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree. He's he's hilarious and frustrating, but like, and it's funny. You you don't know of any real villains until Little Gideon because like most of the villains are like misunderstandings and poor communication. But like, or uh, Pacifica Northwest. <laughs> But uh, it's funny how they show you, you know, that show is brilliant too. Like Gravi Gravity Falls is a great show for children uh, for identifying like when there really is a problem and when there isn't. And, you know, they're showing you like Lil Gideon is a bad guy, but it's because of his upbringing and it's because of the thing, like the choices he his makes. His dad is Bill from King of the Hill. Yeah, like it's, it's brilliant. Uh, Pacific Northwest, another character that they eventually fixed uh, or not fixed, but like redeemed. If, uh, if we're talking modern cartoons, too, can I give uh, some love to Over the Garden Wall and their overarching villain, The Beast, who is just the devil. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it, it's Satan. These kids are fighting Satan. And he's just like every great version of Satan where, you know, he tries to tempt you. He gives you the rope to hang yourself, essentially. Oh, yeah. No, that's brilliant. And he's all about making deals and everything. I'm like, ah, oh, this is so good. He sounds like Keith David, but he's not Keith David. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I'm like, man, if Keith David was the devil, how great would that be? Oh, yeah. I'd be um, signing my soul over right away. Whatever you say, Mr. David. <laughs> <laughs> Were you the thing? Tell me. Uh, so... What was the other thing? Oh, uh, I can't. We can't end the show without also mentioning Mr. Burns for being. Oh yeah, the best villain of all time. Maybe <laughs> his, his his villainy goes up and down depending on seasons and who's writing it. I remember there was an episode they did later on, like way later after you stopped watching. I think after I stopped watching too, Burns became an amnesiac and the town was like totally taking advantage of him. I'm like, hey. That's kind of weird and kind of mean because it's like we've seen the good in Burns as well. Yes, yes. He is a monster, but he's not, you know, well, it's interesting. He's interesting. He's he's complicated, and I like Mr. Burns for being complicated. Of course, Mr. Burns. He crossed the line from regular villainy, villainy to, to cartoonish supervillainy. Bah! He was a rank amateur compared to Dr. Colossus. Oh, when is my lawyer coming? Um, and stay away from Death Mountain. Ah, oh, my stuff is there. <laughs> Doctor Colossus. Doctor Colossus is a joke that was carried over when we meet the real Malibu Stacy, and she 
shows off her various ex-husbands, which is like G.I. Joe and like uh, Steve Austin and Dr. Colossus. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, McMoneysack, I think you're thinking of Flintheart Glumgold. This is a villain yeah. from, uh, DuckTales. DuckTales and all those yeah. Disney cartoons. I was gonna mention Disney and I was like, who's the villain of Disney? Like, Pete? Uh, the Beagle Boys. The Beagle Boys. Talk about ineffectual villains. I love them. They totally wear their villain card like straight up because they have like the perp numbers on them. Yeah. Don't At forget. All time. Oh, Magic of Dispel. Uh, that one. Flintard Glumgold. Uh, of course, you can also go into Darkwing Duck and talk about Negaduck. And love Negaduck so much. Such a great character. Also, great of course, voice for that guy. Yeah, just so. Great. I love. I love when they did the Justice Ducks versus the Fearsome Five, which is obviously a take on the Sinister Six. Yep. And he says, you know, uh, Justice Ducks assemble, and then Negaduck goes, Fearsome Five, get over here. <laughs> I love that's his call to action. Hey, get over here. Hey, get over here. <laughs> and the way he says it, I laugh every time. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun one. That's so a great uh, okay, yeah. uh, Talking about newish villains, too. Uh, what is it? The Diamonds from Steven Universe. I know you haven't watched no, that show watch yet. No, I don't watch Steven Universe, but. Uh... The more we learn about the Diamonds, the more fascinating they become. These kind of like, you know, this triad of world rulers, empresses, and conquerors, but who are all filled with their own crippling issues. (laughs) They're some of the most neurotic villains you've ever met. Apropos neurotic villains, I completely forgot about the Venture Brothers and all the brilliant villains from that world, like the Monarch. Baron Von Underbite, who I love was kind of supposed to be the main villain. in. And then they were like, no. Monarch's better. Just throw him away. The Sovereign, oh my god, I love the arc the Sovereign has had. Yeah, amazing. Oh man! Is he David Bowie? Is he not David Bowie? Not only that, like the real, like who's the villain of that show? I think like Rusty's the villain. <laughs> like he kind of is. Well, like the the thing is, I think the point of Venture Brothers is that like there are no villains. Everyone's damaged. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason why I couldn't watch that show anymore. Like it's it got very dark and interesting. Well, besides the fact that like they took six years between seasons. That was rough. I was like, okay, well, first of all, this show ain't worth it. Because, like, after five years, they had, like, one season, and it was, like, not great. And you're like, oh, I don't care about this anymore. But then that every episode is just a deconstruction of a character and being like, they're they're all broken people. Here's a little bit more information about why they're broken. I'm like, that's cool and all, but, like, that doesn't that's not interesting to watch. That's real life, just without lasers in it. I'm guess I'm guessing you didn't watch the last season, did you? No, the newest one. Shows That's over. That's a shame me. because they moved to Marvel's New York and everything is a Marvel riff. That's cool, but you know, like, whatever. <laughs> I think you, Clancy Brown plays the Red Skull stand-in in this, and he's amazing. Did they do they explain why the Monarch hates Rusty yet? Uh yes, actually, they do. Wow, that only took what fifteen years. They do there, and a big prevailing fan theory uh, is actually proved correct. Okay, I didn't. I never looked it up. I don't. I was just like, I'll when they want to tell me, I'll. I'll, I'll, see I'll, it. I'll say this: we actually get into Monarch's dad because he moves into his family home because you know he lost the cocoon and everything, and you find out that his dad was actually a spirit type vigilante called the Blue Morpho. Get a green hornet, Blue <sighs> uh-huh. Morpho, and he Blue Morpho was actually a very short tinted member 
of Team Venture. He was like the Black Ops member of Team Venture, mm. and whenever uh, Rusty's dad needed someone taken care of, he went to the Blue Morpho for it. Okay, that's cool. And he was a guy who rided the line, and uh, of course, uh, what is it, a uh, uh, more uh, Monarch and his henchmen are like, hey, you know, we got all these costumes, we should totally drive around as the Blue Morpho and Kato. <laughs> and they do whole episodes in that, and it's quite wonderful. That's fun. It is. Cool. Well, there you go, stuff. everybody. That was oh, the episode. Oh, what, what, what else? Talking about Venture Brothers, one more. I'd be remiss okay. if I didn't mention Henry Killinger. Oh, yeah. Henry Killinger. With my magic murder bag. <laughs> it's a weird joke to make. But, it uh, so is. He wound I love up... that he, too, is Satan. He's my favorite type of villain. The, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to kill you with kindness and let you hang yourself. Yes, that's cool. No, I like that a lot. I, the Killinger allows, Rust, allows uh, Rusty to grow, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. Like, when he leaves, like, when he when he's like, no, I'm not a villain. Like, I'm... I'm not gonna like when when he's like, no, you are a villain. Like your dad was a super scientist, and you have these this place. And, you know, you're a monster. You're a bad person. And he's like, your brother's the good one, right? And he's like, I'm not a like no. Like I was like, that's a really strong character moment for that guy. Uh, I, I and then I was like, oh, and then they threw it away. But like I was, uh, that's when I had hope for the show, and then it. Killinger also leads us into another similarly very interesting group of villains who was an arc long villain in those shows the investors yes, remember them I do remember the investors I Again, love the idea of these Lovecraftian horrors who basically their superpower is they're amazingly rich and they fund every other supervillain in the world and they're all in a hook to them right like that's that's a neat idea I like that concept plus they can walk through walls and shit and that's yeah that's kind of cool <laughs> Yeah. I love this Lovecrafty thing where it's like, are they human? Are they superhuman? What are they? Yeah, I like that. And they'll never tell you. But uh, they do actually. Oh, do they really? God damn it. They do. They do actually tell you what they are. They're they're related to Killinger, actually. And Killinger has a bit of a face turn. He says, you know, brothers, we were not meant to rule the humans. We were only meant to show them the way. That's cool. And I'm like, so Killinger was the good one? Nah, that's funny. I like that idea. It's an amazing episode. And then they totally do a riff on a Star Wars fight because they all pull out like red lightsabers. Because uh. <laughs> they're also Siths. No, no. Uh. God damn it. But but of course, Killinger, his thing is in his umbrella. Oh, yeah. No, naturally. Because where just... else would it be? Exactly. No, I like that. I like him. Yeah, he's a fun character. Well, there you have it, everybody. Those were uh, some of our favorite cartoon characters uh cartoon villains from animated shows we could have uh, done this forever we yeah, again it's another show that's like we don't have time we didn't talk about like angelica from rugrats oh, or yeah. any of the brilliant brilliance of invader zim or anything mm. from nickelodeon really um but that said you know like that's maybe that's a show for another time but we'll see yeah that's um, totally an episode right there yeah but so great uh but listen thank you guys so much for joining us today joel what's happened over cape joel before we round out the show well, as always, you can head on over to the channel right now. I'll be reviewing almost all the new comics that came out this week. You can also listen to the brand new episode of the Comic Multiverse. We have some really fun pitches in there for potential X-Men shows. But with all that talk of Brian Singer doing the pilot for a X-Men show, we don't know what it's going to be. But Matt and I talked for a good long while about how you could do a good show under budget and avoid a lot of the trappings of these sorts of things that they do. Nice. And also, if you head on over to the Weekly Pull, you can listen to the new episode of Cape TV as well. Thank you, everyone, for watching that one and supporting that one. That's, That's right. That is now officially a Weekly Pull exclusive show now. Nice. 
Well, there you have it, everybody. And, of course, stick around on Comic Pop here to watch uh, the newest episode of Back Issues in which we will be covering a major DC event uh, called Final Night. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot for watching this almost award-winning podcast, The Elseworlds Exchange, but we do appreciate you watching an award-winning comic pop uh, web series, and we'll see you guys next week with another episode. Of course, thank you guys, by the way, for voting for us, uh, for The Elseworlds Exchange. That was humbling and uh, just amazing to have you uh, vote for us. Real good. But I'm also very, very happy to see... uh, the weekly poll won that one, but uh, doesn't beat uh, doesn't beat the uh, best web series category. A crushing well. victory as crushing. well as they said. And that is owed directly to you guys and these loyal subscribers here at Comic Pop. Thank you for that. A- apparently, it wasn't even fair. Just you know, <laughs> salad Comic Pop rolling in, flipping tables, just you know, just destroying the competition. I don't even know who it, uh, who was up against. Like I looked them up and I was like, I don't know what these are, and it was just like, well. That's the end of that. <laughs> That's the end of that. That's the end of that. So we'll see you guys next time with another episode of the Elseworlds Exchange. I'm Sal. I'm Joel. See you later.